0: Hello, all, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT News of the Week. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino. I'm an editor at Gestalt IT. Joining me from across this great land of ours is the one, the only, the networking nerd himself, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me on. I was uh, going to just enjoy some Kentucky fried chicken, but I decided to do the rundown instead because it's much more filling and useful
0: certainly tom you are nothing if not timely uh which is what the show is all about we're running down the it news of the week so let's get it started with a little something we like to call news or not this is where there's just too much stuff floating in the it news ether we need tom to take his spoon of knowledge through this this soup and pull out the delicious noodles for our consumption tom are
1: you ready And now I'm hungry, so yeah, let's get this going.
0: (laughs) If you're hungry after that description, we need to have another conversation. First up here, uh, interesting news uh, uh, coming out of a partnership between Pure Storage and Cohesity. Uh, They announced Pure Flash Recover, powered by Cohesity, I'm sure a name uh, devised by a committee. This effectively takes Pure's FlashBlade array with an included white box server running Cohesity's data platform software. This is the first result of Pure being uh, a Cohesity technology partner and looks to be a replacement for Pure's FlashBlade-based object. Engine backup appliance. Although Pure is very quick to point out that Flash Recover is not an appliance and has more general purpose potential and applications. Tom, news or
1: not? I think this is news because Pure is always made really good hardware. Um, Purity is a good OS, but it's really dedicated to storing things. Cohesity has always made really good software. They just needed a place to install it. This seems like a very good melding of the two. And I'm kind of curious to see if this allows both Pure and Cohesity to position themselves better in the market to go after companies like Nutanix with a holistic offering.
0: Yeah. And Cohesity has really kind of gotten out of the, hey, we provide the boxes um, kind of business and really focus on on, uh, the software side of it, which is where their strength has always been. Um, So this makes sense. Kind of this, uh, this is kind of now a trend, I think, for uh, pure storage in terms of, you know, kind of being the high performance uh, storage provider to the stars. Um, So we'll see if that continues. Uh, Next up here, two years ago, Microsoft divided the Windows team with the core development going to the Cloud and AI team, aka Azure, and the front end team uh, now under Panos Panay. Microsoft is now moving the fundamentals and developer experience team back under Panay, so kind of subdividing that further from the Azure team. Windows Core Engineering will stay with Azure. Panay says his team will focus on growing the Surface business, among other things. We, of course, uh, just got a release date for the Surface Duo Android dual screen thing my Bobby. But Tom, dividing Windows yet again. News are not here.
1: I think it's news just because Microsoft is finally coming to realize that there are certain aspects of product development that have to kind of stick with other areas. Just you know declaring by Fiat that everything is going to move over here, if you never look at that decision again, you've made a mistake. At least okay, I'm a, I'm an Adela fanboy. i, I I'm an, I'll admit it. Um, Balmer would have never made this move. Gates might have. But this is him kind of eating a little crow and saying, I think this is better over here. And I think it's going to work out better in the long run, because by having the best developers for that product area underneath the other group of developers, you're going to come out with more solid, usable products.
0: I do wonder, um, you know, not to get too into the weeds on Microsoft, but, um, you know, the you know, under Panay's leadership, they've come up with a number of ambitious, you know uh, you know kind of product solutions. I do wonder, you know we've we've seen some issues um with you know uh, Windows updates rollout. We're seeing maybe not the best uh, potential reception for some new surface hardware and stuff like that. I do wonder how much runway Panay has, but I think a vote of confidence certainly that they're moving stuff under back underneath them.
1: i'm I'm gonna guess on a scale of failures, this is closer to iPod Hi-Fi than it is Galaxy Fold.
0: Very true. Uh, very true. Uh, next up here, Parallels Desktop 16 launched on the Mac on Tuesday to run Windows, Linux, and mac os applications and virtual machines under macOS. Now with full support for macOS Big Sur. Other new features include support for 3D in Metal apps when running a Big Sur virtual machine on a Big Sur host, offering better printer sharing and claims of twice the launch uh, launching apps twice as fast uh, with improvements to Direct X performance uh, and some other Linux backend stuff. However. Parallels declined to say if Windows on upcoming Apple Silicon machines in Big Sur would be supported. Tom, within the entire context of that read, news or not?
1: The first part is not news. It's a product update, and you always have to do product updates to support new software. The news to me is the fact that they're not willing to commit to doing virtualization on ARM because let's be fair – Desktop virtualization is so ingrained into what Intel has done to accelerate it that ripping the guts out of those boxes is going to cause problems. I mean, they already broke the use of uh, VMware Workstation with the latest uh, Catalina update, so there's a lot that's going to have to be unpacked by that. I'm just I'm, I'm going to plant my flag here in the ground. If you are someone who relies on desktop virtualization for your job or any other thing you're going to have to wait to upgrade your Mac. You're not going to be able to get one of the new ones when they're announced. Uh, you take care of that thing, baby it a little bit, because I'm not sure what the future holds.
0: Next up here, Facebook open source a security-focused Python static analysis tool called Pyza. This runs on code before it's compiled, hence the static part of it, looking for known patterns that can indicate a bug and flagging it for review. Facebook says the tool, which they've used internally for some time now, has detected 44% of all security bugs on Instagram's server-side Python code, just kind of automatically. Designed to work on large code bases that might not be cohesive, uh, Instagram, for example, has been kind of patched together um, through various different incarnations of the company and the app. Uh, Paizai is also extensible to support plugins for other frameworks to support the scanning. Tom, open sourcing this tool, news or no?
1: Okay, this is going to kind of sound snotty of me, but this should not ever be news. If you build a tool that's useful to the community, don't freaking hide it. Give it to the community, let them water it, let them grow it. You might get some return out of this down the road. Anybody who takes their proprietary tools and treats them like their collection of garbage pail kids needs to be slapped across the face. Let's let the community do what it will with what it has. And uh, based on
0: my research on this story, this was actually developed from another open source scanning tool. So I wonder how long they were using that if they were using, you know, some open source code. I mean, I... I don't want to get into the politics of when you commit something to a main branch versus open sourcing it versus spinning it out. So I'm not going to assert any foul play um but (laughs) interesting nonetheless
1: it's facebook foul play can always be assumed
0: it's the formation of the open source security foundation designed to help simplify the world of open source security by bringing projects and stakeholders together in a cohesive organization founding members include github google ibm intel microsoft red hat uber and vmware so a bunch of nobodies basically projects that the group will oversee include the core infrastructure initiative which was set up in response to heartbleed and the open source
1: security coalition tom news or not Another foundation? Really? <laughs> okay. So it's the Linux Foundation. So at least uh, I think that's the Linux Foundation's thing. Linus builds the kernel and the rest of the apparatus builds foundations with other companies to do stuff with it. Yeah. Um there's potential here just because you have a bunch of signatories that are that are big, but I think what's going to end up happening in the long run is this foundation will meet twice. Nobody will agree on anything. Companies involved with it will do their own separate thing They won't contribute back. And then we will see it die on the vine. And three years from now, we'll have another open source security foundation extreme or something. I don't know. Um, I hope this works. I always hope this works, but I've worked in IT too long to be anything other than a pessimist.
0: Also I just realized GitHub and Microsoft are the same entity so they should just have been signed once seems a little counterintuitive my prediction is that we'll see like two of two or three of these companies like VMware is going to work with everybody on everything right it's in their interest <laughs> to do so so I could see maybe not this necessarily having the effect that the Linux foundation thinks it has but uh I think getting people, given how dependent open source now is on giant companies making contributions to projects, um, uh, it's it's better to have these people talking, even if it doesn't really lead to much than not, I suppose. And finally here on News or None, Google India announced the launch of something interesting. It's called People Cards, a virtual visiting card is how they're phrasing it. I think that's a thing in India, where you can highlight your existing website or social profiles and other information about yourself that will surface in search. Users can create the card by searching their name from their Google account with a limit of one card per account and requiring a phone number for authentication. These would uh, then be surfaced in search results, similar to kind of the information cards that you see when you're searching for a big company or someone that has a Wikipedia page or something like that. The feature is currently only available in India, but kind of seems like me like this is like an about.me slash weird play at some sort of social network uh, backdoor for Google here. News or not, Tom? Is
1: this Google Minus? (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, okay. Th- this is something that people out there have to understand too. Um, we work in IT, so we, we have a lot of culture things that go on. There's a lot of things that get developed in in India and China and Japan that we'll never see the light of day here because from our culture, they just don't make a whole lot of sense. I think this is one of those things. It's something that it was very much needed for the subcontinent market. And I don't see it moving very much here. So maybe it'll work, but killed by Google is probably warming up the thing because it's going to be disappearing sooner rather than later.
0: I, I do think it's interesting of opening up that cards, you know, that information card area in search, which does get a ton, you know, one it's, it's a validity thing, right? If you can find a way so that when someone searches your name, uh, you have the validity of having that card um, kind of appear. I do think that is that could you know theoretically be a benefit to some people. However, I mean, I just like on the like the most surface level thing, it's like there are mul- people with multiple names, so like I don't even know how you begin to not make that a complete mess. Um, and uh, I mean, the good thing is they're not scraping people's information and like publishing it and telling them to opt out if they don't like it. Like it's all opt in. Google seems like they're doing this in a way that's the least amount of creepy. Uh, We will see if it ever expands beyond India to your point, Tom. Uh, First up here for our main discussion, uh, security researcher Troy Hunt announced that he plans to open source the code base for the Have I Been Pwned Hack Credentials Repository. Hunt says that he's consulted with open source source experts and plans to open source the code gradually with no set timetable for completion, uh, essentially just saying, hey, we're beginning this process. Data from security breaches will not be included in this transition due to legal concerns. Effectively, it's... His, his attorney, like, he has this great quote from his attorneys. That he's like, I paid a ton of money for this one-sentence thing that says, don't do this. In June 2019, Hunt uh, announced that he actually planned to sell Have I Been Pwned, but after negotiations with an exclusive party broke down, announced that in March, he planned to keep the repository independent. Uh, Tom, I know we talked about it uh, when that uh, the idea of that sale was announced last year. Um, Troy Hunt actually published a really great blog post kind of outlining the, the, the pains and, and travails of trying to go that route. Do we feel better that the code Base at least is going open source, and could this be a valuable tool for other uh, kind of repositories uh, along these lines? Maybe not for hack credentials, but uh, uh, you know, for kind of tracking something that affects a wider community.
1: So I think it's a good thing, um, but this is one of those deals where just like a really random eBay listing for a fifty dollar iPhone, you have to read the details because people are like, "Oh, he's open sourcing? Have I been pwned?" No, he's open sourcing the platform. That's like open sourcing the wiki part of Wikipedia. The value is not in the wiki part. The value is in the information that you have. And so that's what it is. I applaud Troy for doing this for two reasons. One, you give them back to the community. That's always a win in my book. But two, you have a lot more eyeballs on your set now, checking for vulnerabilities, checking for bugs, checking for holes. You want to go down in history as the person who created the greatest database of being pwned in the world, and then you get pwned, yeah. Don't be that guy, Troy. Good call. I'm sorry that the lawyers bled you dry, but they are sharks. Um, this is going to pay off dividends in the long run. So I think that ultimately this is this is a good decision. I support it, and I look forward to the fruits of this.
0: Yeah, and Detroit's point: a lot of the legal concerns about the the back end data is that it did, res- you know, a lot of it came from. I mean, most of it came from criminal activity, right? So uh, the The act of of kind of uh, being a distributor of that does uh, cause some legal concerns, even if he is pointing to it with Have I Been Pwned, essentially. And his other point was that the information is also out there. So theoretically, once you have the open source code, you could rebuild it. And to your point, he's actually very frank that a lot of Have I Been Pwned was kind of cobbled together and hacked together while he was waiting for flights or on airplanes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So a part of the open source process is cleaning up that code so it it doesn't look like – like uh, he doesn't know what he's doing, which obviously he does. Um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately this can be a a a good thing. I don't. Uh, I mean, the idea of a, a central repository that's searchable and that you can send you notifications, like if it, if you end up pinged on it. I don't know what other applications that necessarily has, but again, uh, to your point, more eyeballs are good. Um, and it is a extremely valuable tool, uh, for the wider you know for for. Not even the wider IT landscape, just for everyday users. So uh, good on Mm -hmm. Troy. Hope this frees up some more of your time, Troy. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, next up here, interesting uh, uh, a report published by Gartner on the uh, infrastructure-as-a-service public cloud services market, which I think is redundant, but that's the name of it, uh, for 2019, uh, coming out extremely timely in August. They found that Amazon remained the number one in the market, surprise, surprise, with more revenue than the other top named competitors, including Microsoft, Alibaba, Google, and Tencent combined market share did decline slightly down three percent compared to 2018 around 45 percent now in terms of revenue uh, what's interesting to me is though that this expands the traditional conversation around the public cloud which traditionally is amazon microsoft google and expands into uh, the giant chinese providers in that context and kind of seeing where they fit in terms of scale among the big three that we commonly talk about also interesting is that the other category while reporting an eight billion dollars in revenue nothing to sneeze at certainly is also growing at the slowest rate even compared to amazon i uh, Low 20%. Going forward Gartner plans to group uh, infrastructure as a service and platform as a service together into a single cloud infrastructure and platform services report, which in 2019 grew at a faster rate if you combine those two than just the IaaS market with Amazon, Microsoft and Ali, uh, with Amazon, Microsoft, Alibaba, Tencent and Oracle. Rounding out the top five, there, Tom. Um, so I'm curious on a couple things here. From what is there any significance with the fact that the other category is slowing down? Are we seeing that meaning that you know, effectively, if you're not in one of those big five, that's you know, you're you're going to be further less competitive, I guess. And um, uh, what I, I, am interested in your thoughts also, Tom, about, uh, kind of combining that infrastructure and platform, uh, category, if that's warranted and, and, you know, maybe if that changes the conversation about how we're thinking about this.
1: So uh, to the first point, this absolutely tells you that cloud begets cloud, but only where you are. Even if you're thinking about doing multi-cloud, you're not thinking about doing Amazon and Joe's cloud shop. You're thinking about doing Amazon and Azure, Amazon and Tencent. And and even then, Tencent, Alibaba, you're going for a very regional cloud offering. Sorry, Larry, you made fifth. Congrats. But here's the thing. People are not going to buy into cloud at a low level anymore. Cloud is not dipping your toe in the water and hoping that this works. This is we're going all in and we're going with these two big companies, whether it's Azure, AWS, Tencent, Alibaba, what have you. The other thing is, I think ultimately what's going to end up happening in this cloud market, like you said, with infrastructure and platform being combined together, that's, well, that's Gartner recognizing that people don't differentiate between those two anymore. Mm -hmm. And honestly, when I've tried to explain all three different cloud types to people, it's like, okay, so you buy the server or you buy an operating system or you buy an application. Well, what's the difference between buying a server and an operating system? (laughs) I mean, when you look at the number of things,
0: install an operating system.
1: But look at how many things have been containerized right now. I mean, most people don't even give a crap about that. So I would honestly think that because of the drive that people have been doing to refactor applications to be used by containers, IaaS and PaaS are going to functionally be the same thing. And I don't know what we're going to call it uh, PAs pizza. Um, and then you're going to have software on one side and hardware on the other. That's going to be the differentiation we're not going to. Yeah, and, and eventually it will all become the grand unified cloud theory. And I don't know, but yeah, I, I think that in two years time, there will not be a distinct category between the two functionally, not in, not in an analyst report functionally. We won't be able to tell the difference between the two. Mm-hmm.
0: It'll be a distinction without a difference. Uh, effect. yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely interesting. I I do wonder the value of these reports coming out so late after the, f- you know, like, I mean, talking about twenty like the state of cloud at the end of 2019, certainly valuable for context, gives you some insight into, into um, trends and stuff like that. But I mean, especially given how things have changed in 2020 and how they look like they're going to continue to change. Um, it, it did feel like this was a, a moment in time which we can we, – it's not like there's a, any return to state uh, after this. So I will be interesting actually to see if that um, further accelerates that and maybe if that combination of those two categories was driven um, by changes that Gartner is already seeing in 2020, if that's a result of that as well. Next up here, Nutanix made another step into the cloud with the launch of Nutanix clusters on AWS, which almost sounds like a delicious treat. It takes a very VMware-like approach to the problem, offering Nutanix hypervisor running on bare metal EC2 instances. The benefits would be that organizations with on-prem Nutanix clusters could easily move workloads to the cloud without having to refactor, traditional kind of story there, and be able to use Nutanix prism management tools across both on-prem and cloud clusters. This would also provide access to AWS services like files, and ERA directly from Nutanix's interface, uh, which I think uh, is perhaps a underreported benefit um, to this kind of arrangement. No word yet if uh, integration is coming to other clouds, given how long it took VMware to move beyond AWS uh, several years just to kind of round out the top three in the US at least. Uh, I can imagine Nutanix probably on a similar timetable if they have any intention at all. If this move, uh, Tom, my question, I guess, to you is is this more evidence that the cloud is still in need of a lot of enterprise cl- class data services? We've seen similar plays from uh, everyone from Dell EMC to, um, to NetApp to kind of doing this, Hey, we're going to do this over the top thing where we have this really great either operating system or set of data services or hypervisor in the case of Nutanix. And it, we, we're less concerned about the box. Now we want to sell you the service.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. We we've seen this with VMware. This to me is not as much an indictment of what cloud offers as much as it is, Enterprises really hate to give up on good ideas. <laughs> there is no functional reason why you should run VMware or Nutanix in a cloud. Um, you know, it's it, 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 every IT person in the world has done that. I'm going to take a new idea and run it in the old way and because I know the old way works. And then you realize, well, you're throttling yourself or you're not using the right constructs or whatever. It's, it's a step, stepping stone. Um, eventually they'll refactor it. Eventually they'll do something. I, 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 Nutanix has to do this. I mean, let's be fair. Th- th- this is like VMware offering Tanzu and all the other stuff. They have to have an offering in cloud or nobody's going to buy it anymore. And they're hoping to hold on to that revenue for another quarter. Ultimately, though, I think that this is probably going to die out faster than VMware because once people start realizing they don't actually need to run Nutanix stuff in the cloud, they're going to drop it and walk away from it and just... And run containers or something like that. So I hope that people pick this up, but I would not honestly be shocked to see this fall off their price list within the next, I don't know, 18 months.
0: I mean, so effectively uh, for a lot of these, uh, uh, let's just say VMware and Nutanix specifically and their kind of approaches to this kind of cloud on-ramp, shall we say, that this is just effectively like a a technical debt leasing program that uh, (laughs) will come due at some point?
1: Technical debt leasing program is going to be the new name of my cover band that's going to play at VMworld next year. Mark my words. Uh, we
0: will see. If not, um, I'll definitely be there for the Zoom call uh, for that. And finally, here, uh, it wouldn't be the Gestalt IT rundown with a little uh, acquisition news. LinkedIn. Uh, Tom, I know your favorite social network, it's all about business, announced it's selling its presentation hosting service SlideShare to the publishing platform Scribd. I think that's how you pronounce it. I I need vowels, people. The acquisition will be effective September 24th, with Scribd getting SlideShare's 100 million users and archival content, along with, obviously, the tech stack. Um, turns out SlideShare is just amazingly popular. Tom, uh, this seems to confuse LinkedIn's messaging uh, yet again. Not, not a news story here, but... Just hear me out here. Earlier this year, we saw them trying to make a push or at least make it less confusing to use the platform for virtual events, Uh, while seemingly a presentation platform, I would think, would be useful if you're going to be hosting webinars or, you know, any kind of uh, virtual hosting there. Are they just selling off to Scribd because, hey, this has a ton of value right now. Everyone's doing remote. We can rebuild something else uh, and they can have this when it has the most value. And if you were counting on LinkedIn to help render your events, does this make it a weaker play perhaps going forward?
1: So I think that LinkedIn ran into problems trying to integrate SlideShare into their platform and make it seamless. And they started asking around, Scribd. I, I'm, I'm going to go with Scribd. I don't know why I always have. Um they said, Hey, we need to add content because when you think of Scrib, that's what I think of is content repository. Why not add slides? Also, you know, this is kind of like, you know, when Uber Eats bought, uh, was it Postmates? It's like, you need to buy your next biggest competitor and just kind of create like competition Voltron. Um, because ultimately the more people that start thinking of Scrib to upload their content, the better. I mean, where else would you upload slides? Does this reduce the value of what LinkedIn offers? No. And here's why I would argue that. So I'm going to put my disclaimer hat on. I work for Tech Field Day. I do events for Tech Field Day. Do you know how many times I get asked to post the slides from a presentation from one of our presentations? It's a number that's less than the number of fingers on this hand. And I've been doing this for seven years. (laughs) Most people don't want hard copy. I do because I'm a journalist. (laughs) I almost said that without laughing. I'm a pseudo journalist. The value is in the video, the value is in the presentation, the value is not in the deck unless you're taking screenshots of it or you're using it for reference material later. And even with reference material, you can probably pick it up online. Mm. This was VMware, or sorry, this was LinkedIn getting rid of a liability that they couldn't figure out how to integrate and trying to get some cash out of it. And if you think that this is something that doesn't happen, remember that VMware bought an email program many years ago and nobody could figure that one out.
0: I mean, and the I guess the good thing about this, from LinkedIn's perspective, is and and also provides some value, is that they don't lose any users as a result of this, mm-hmm. right? If you're a LinkedIn yeah. user, you just also you know you suddenly are a SlideShare user that happens to use LinkedIn or something like that. They're not losing any eyeballs necessarily as a part of this, and but that does provide a ton of value for Scribd uh, for them to just pick up uh, just a, a ton of users. I didn't even think though. Uh, uh that the archival you know I, I kind of put that in there just as a footnote um but yeah that archival content really speaks to a lot of their strength uh as a platform as well so uh we will see if uh, that keeps going forward and if via uh, linkedin I, I want to say vmware too tom i don't know why uh i will see if linkedin uh can figure out a little bit more cohesive messaging around their event strategy going forward and if if that really takes off as a platform i don't see it is baffling to me that it took a pandemic for them to really seriously think about this. Given that they're, you know, the the de facto hub, even if it seems like they don't like it sometimes, of being mm-hmm. the business networking place. So um, we we will see if uh, if that plays out and uh, if we get any clarity on that going forward. One thing I do have clarity though on is that we are at the end of the Gestalt IT rundown for this week. Uh, Tom, where can people find more of your great stuff if they're so inclined? But-
1: if you want to check me out, you can go over to com. I write a lot over there, both uh, event reviews and briefings. Uh, I actually have a new episode of Conversations coming out tomorrow. I'll give you a hint. You need to buy a WAN-sized coffin because something might be declared dead. Uh, but I'll have a post accompanying that. And then you know there's going to be some more great content coming out and things like that. So um, stay tuned there.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Um, and you can find me. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Anthropology. That's Mr. Anthropology. This will actually be my last episode uh, with the Gestalt IT rundown as the host. Uh, but uh, I know Tom is very ably able uh, to put this on his um, broad IT knowledge shoulders and uh, carry it uh, with an atlas like a plum. So, uh, Tom, uh, it has been a pleasure uh, doing the show with you every week now for what, three, almost four years now.
1: Rich, when we put this idea together and we thought, you know, let's just talk about the news, how hard can it be? And we realized that we had good chemistry and we worked well together and we had fun with it. And I have enjoyed every episode of the rundown that I've done with you. You are a presence that will absolutely be missed. And I wish you well in your future endeavors and good luck.
0: Well, thank you very much, Tom. And hey, if Qualcomm ever does buy Broadcom or vice versa, I will, I promise you. I will, be, I will be back to talk about that.
1: You um, will be the first person I call.
0: The Gestalt IT Rundown. We'll be back next week at Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find it on YouTube, streaming live, or on later on Facebook, facebook.com slash gestaltit. If you're watching this later, be sure to like and subscribe to the Gestalt IT YouTube channel. Uh, and until then, uh, remember, everybody, to have a super sparkly day.